Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Our scripture reading for today, this is coming out of 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw on the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. The reading of God's Word. Good morning, Audacity Church. That's not some good worship or what? Um, it's okay with you. Am I on or no? Someone tell me. It's okay with you um, today. I'm, uh, it's not me. Um, I'm just going to sit and teach today. Um, I'll, I'll try to explain why. Um, You know, idolatry um, is a tough subject because nobody wants to uh, believe that they are an idolater. Nobody does. I don't want to believe that I have idolatry in my heart any more than you want to believe that you have idolatry in yours. We don't. And so, um, sometimes I can speak about a subject, God jacks with me about it, but happened a year ago. <laughs> and so I've, I've had like uh, months to, to deal with it. But then when we uh, 
talk about other uh, subjects. Um, there's some subjects that I see a ripple effect that is impacting people and families. Yeah. Um, and it, and I, and I see it over and over again. And I, and I see it in my friends. I see it in family. I see it in people that we love at Audacity. And so, um, so today I'm just going to teach. I'm going to sit and I'm going to teach. And uh, two things. One, I love you. I do. Uh, I pray for you almost daily. So know that. I love you. And number two, the call that God has on my life is a simple postman. <laughs> I deliver the mail. I don't read your mail. I just deliver it. Tyson read for us uh, a short time ago out of Second Samuel. And before we dive in, I want to remind you of a few things that we kind of learned from last week. One of them was that Frederick Nietzsche said, there are more idols in the world than there are realities. So basically, anything that we have, we can take a good thing and we can turn it into a God thing. And anything that we have, we can make an idol. And Kyle Eidelman put it this way in his book, Gods at War. What if we do all our kneeling and all of our bowing and all of our worship, if you will, through our imaginations, through our checkbooks, through our search engines, and through our calendars? What do those things in our life say that we are worshiping? And for the basis of this series, we're going to use uh, Dr. Tim Keller's quote on what an idol is. And Tim Keller decide, defines an idol as whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, that's at the deepest meaning of your core, if I don't have that, then my life has no meaning. Then I know, um, if my life has that, then I know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And we, we do this with, all, with everything. We can make an idol a great thing. We talked last week about um, how we can turn our kids into an idol. I see this a lot in especially young marrieds or new parents. And the, the children become the center of everything. The wife neglects the husband and in turn the husband because he's immature and doesn't know how to respond. He neglects the wife. And you have this beautiful, precious, and the Bible says a gift from God at the center of your life. And it's supposed to be Jesus. And then it's supposed to be your spouse, and then your kids. And it's hard. Moms feel guilty. Well, guess what? That's what the Bible teaches you. Be mad at Jesus. So we looked at um, Exodus 20 last week, where God says this, pretty simple. You shall have no other gods before me. At all, zero, zilch, nada. We laid out the top ten. And so today, we're going to talk about sex god. And I just titled this Sex God, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. For you under 30, a videotape, uh, I'm just kidding, I'm not even going to explain it to you, Google it later. Um, <laughs> I could, <laughs> I'm getting old, praise Jesus, here we go. The very first thing that I want to talk to you when we talk about sex, number one, is the unhealthy search. And so we find this in the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. I'm just going to leave it there. 
What, what is the Bible teaching us there? Let me tell you what the Bible is teaching you there. Most sin in general, and especially sexual sin, happens when you aren't where you're supposed to be. When we aren't where we're supposed to be, that's when it happens. See, David was supposed to be where all kings go. He was supposed to be off at war. Now, I don't know why they waited till the springtime. I've done some a little bit of history. If you really want me to bore you with it, very briefly. Those of you that love this, you're welcome. Text me a thank you later. They fought in the spring because it was a, the optimal time to fight. They didn't have to worry about losing casualties because of the winter of the war. Um, they allowed people to actually, you would, you would let your enemies harvest their crops so they had food. And so they could pack up all their food and they could be fully ready to go and fight for however long they needed to fight. It's one of the reasons Genghis Khan was such an impeccable warrior is because they traveled everything light and they actually cooked on, the, on their uh, armor, if you will. And so kings, David, is supposed to be off at war. David is on an unhealthy search. Many of you are on an unhealthy search. You're looking for a man to supply something to you that only Jesus can. You're looking at a woman at your next conquest. And you look at her as a trophy instead of somebody that you're supposed to be serving. It's an unhealthy search. You are placing upon a person what only God can do for you. It's an unhealthy search. I don't know where David is, but David ain't happy. David's bored. He's bored. He's done it. I mean, if you read in the, when we read it earlier, the rest of verse 1 says this. The Israelites were kicking butts and taking names. That's right out of the Baker International Version. Uh, available probably never. Uh, but that they were, he was being victorious. Sin or secret sin, if you will, will be at its highest when you are at your most high and when you are at your most low, that's when the adversary or when temptation, you can be easily succumbed by it. And it happens at its highest points and it happens at its lowest points, but it also happens when you're not where you're supposed to be and it's an unhealthy search. Let me say this. Being tempted is not a sin. I don't want you to beat yourself up whenever you're tempted to covet, when you're tempted to lust, when you're tempted to have fear and doubt, whenever you're tempted to lose faith, when you're tempted. Temptation is not a sin. See, the sin is what happens following. This doesn't mean, I want to go back to this for uh, sexual sin with an unhealthy search. This doesn't mean you're going to find yourself in a strip club or a brothel. It just means that you're not where you're supposed to be. Maybe you're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. Keep trying to make it work. Maybe you're pursuing someone or something that God doesn't want in your life. It sucks. It's true. It's an unhealthy search. When you are searching for something, we all are. Every one of you in this room is, is searching for something, and that thing that you are searching for is Jesus. And you're, you don't understand it. You know, um, once again, I'm going to date myself. <laughs> There's a song that says, we have a God-shaped hole inside of us. It's true. You were created for worship. You were created to put Jesus on the center of the throne of your life. And so you're searching for something. And because you're not allowing it to be Jesus, you are desperately filling it with all kinds of things that don't matter and are always leave you unfulfilled and always leave you wanting more. This is how we do it with money. 
ah, just a little bit more. Just a little more. This is another ten grand a year, and I'll be good. I'll be all right. Then things will be great. Man, once I finish my degree, man, I'm going to get a raise. Then, then things, man, they're going to get to rolling. And it's always something. And when Jesus is not at the core, when he is not at the center, it is an idol, and the idol will always leave you unfulfilled. So we all are searching for something. An unhealthy search is when you're not where you're supposed to be. When David was supposed to be out fighting a battle, he finds himself at home. It should be a safe place, right? I mean, it's his house. So what happened next? Then David took temptation too far. In Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, it said, It happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch, he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from, excuse me, and walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from a roof a woman bathing. And she was very beautiful. My version would say she was smoking hot. And David sent and inquired about her. Being tempted isn't the sin here. It's not. What David should have done is he should have went back to the couch. David should have went like, you know what, I, 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 <laughs> I just got tempted. I recognize that it's a temptation. It's going to pull me out of the will of God. I'm going to move. I'm going to leave. I'm going to get up. The Bible says that the, the devil is roar, he's, he's like a roaring lion waiting for you. He's setting traps for you. It's what, I, 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 and what happens is we fall for them. Sometimes we stumble into them. David was just walking on his porch, and he sees a woman bathing. And he more than likely, of course, because what it led to, had an impure thought. And instead of fleeing, instead of going back to the couch, going back inside the castle, he takes the temptation too far. This is the biggest problem in America. Number one. Porn industry which um, um, doesn't include uh, strip clubs, and it doesn't include the illegal sex trade that permeates our country as women are forced into sex slavery. And this is what we say as men. It's just a little bit. It's a little bit of porn. I'm window shopping. Who is it really hurting? Well, let me tell you this. Because you're window shopping, there's some teenage girl that's being raped repeatedly by some SOB over and over and over again. Why? The problem with porn is it's acceptable in our culture, and it's the greatest destroyer. More money is spent on pornography in the United States alone than baseball, basketball, and football combined. Billion-dollar industries combined. And we spend more money in this state, the United States, on pornography. It's men's favorite sport. And they are emasculating themselves all the while in the moment they feel quite the opposite. 
according to the Journal of Applied Social Psychology. Imagine having that on your business card. says this. Pornography leads to de- decreased satisfaction with one's sexual partner. I don't have a psychology degree, and I could have told you that. It leads to decrease in how much one values faithfulness. Not a big deal. And it also has a major increase in the importance of sex without attachment. Number one is the unhealthy search. Number two is when we take temptation too far. And number three is this, an idol never satisfies. It never satisfies. So when your partner is an idol, they will never satisfy you, always let you down, and you're placing unrealistic expectations upon them. 2 Samuel chapter 11. So David sent a messenger and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from their uncleanliness. And then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived and sent to David and said, I am pregnant. There's a couple things that I want to pull from the text. It says she has been purifying herself. Uh, or she had been purifying herself. Um, basically, and I think ladies would love this. Uh, in, in, in today's culture, we just don't do it. Imagine, like, uh, after your, your time, you know, um, that's unpleasant and uncomfortable, and um, it's really a pain, I understand. I, so I've been told. Uh, <laughs> uh, your menstrual cycle? I ain't afraid. I'll say it. Imagine after all of that, and you get to go away for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and you just hang out with other ladies that just finished. That's why all women that are close friends all get on the same cycle. It's because previously <laughs> you guys got to go away and hang out a week. I mean, you're like, hey, we're taking the chocolate and the wine. We'll see you in seven days. The Bible tells us this for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, so there we know that Bathsheba wasn't pregnant. That's number one. Number two, I believe that it tells us this, um, and this is from my wife, Ashley. Uh, you guys know that we are natural family planners. Somehow we've ended up with almost nine kids now. <laughs> we were just really not bad. We are really good at it. Um, but if, she, if her cycle was just over, she basically would have had 15 days-ish. And then there's about 72 hours. For those of you that didn't know this, you're welcome. Welcome to Anatomy 101, brought to you by Audacity Church and Pastor Ronnie. At about 15 days after the cycle is when a woman is at her highest level of ovulation. So there's two things that I would point out here. One, did David enjoy her company for two weeks? He just use her. She just use him. Did they just have a little fling? David had more than one wife. I mean, the dude had his hands full. <laughs> and so I don't know. I just want to insert that there. Uh, whenever I read the Bible, I like to try to place myself in the situation. I know that people probably aren't wearing the same clothes that I picture them in, right? Uh, sometimes it's in probably more of a modern setting, but it's how I, I allow Scripture to speak to me. And so I wonder, did Jesus put that in there to let us know that he was using her and 
and she was using him until they were both done. But this is what we know. Shane at the castle no more. That idol that he saw, that he lusted after, that he that in, he jeopardizes her life. Do you realize that she, by the law of Israel, should have been drugged outside of the city and stoned? And she's sitting in her home without her husband who's off at war. She just had an adulterous relationship with the king. And every day she knows that she could be stoned to death. All because there was an idol of satisfaction, an idol of temporary joy, an idol of sex. When love is an idol, it only brings temporary satisfaction. The sad thing is, is that most relationships, this is how they work because they're not Christ-centered. And then the other thing that happens, and I'm going to drop some knowledge onto you. Everybody say thank you. You're welcome. The, the biggest problem in this relationship and in the relationship that, you might, that you're in right now, whether you're married, you're playing house, or maybe you intend to, here's the biggest problem. It's called Love Potion Number 9. I don't really know what that is. I was going to Google it. I think it's a song. Someone help me. A book maybe. I don't know. But this is what I want to call it. In the 1970s, there was a study done by a doctor, and she discovers the love drug. And you can write this down if you want to, and you can look at it later. It's called limerence, L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E. Everybody say limerence. Limerence is a drug that's released in your brain when you first fall in love with somebody. It's the phenomenon that I believe God put in place for when you fall madly in love. Let me give you some of the side effects. Passion, you can be lovesick. When you first fall in love with somebody, this is also a side effect. Intrusive thinking. When you first start falling in love with her and you can't take your mind off her, you can't take your mind off him, they are just, your, your, their thoughts are consuming you. And then there's the fear of rejection. What if he doesn't like me? What if she finds out who I really am? What is she, what is, what is she going to do when she finds out this is what I did in my past? What is he going to do once he realizes that this is who I used to be? Here's the sad thing about limerence. When your relationship isn't built on love and actually getting to know each other, because let me, oh, I'm going to preach for a second. You're welcome. I've said this was PG-13. I just want to clarify that. Pastor Tyson announced it before we started. Two things. A man, and God designed him this way, be mad, take it up with Jesus later, is all about here. He wants to, he wants to go onto the playground. That's the only way a man's mind work. A woman, she's all right here. I just want him to love me. I just want him to, why doesn't he like to spoon? Because it's uncomfortable and you're hot and sweaty. And what happens is a woman gives away this before he's earned this, and they spend the rest of their lives wondering, why won't he give me this? Why won't he let me have this? Why won't he engage this? And it's because you gave this. And men, when you take that before you earn the other thing, you're going to be held accountable before a just God on how you loved her, how you led her, and how you served her. I am the least of your worries, but I would be a worry. 
and I see relationship. And then what happens is we get married, and the man has no idea how to do this because all he thinks about is this. And he doesn't, he doesn't get it. Because you, and I'm not trying to play, listen, men are going to be held to a higher level of accountability. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. You can take that to the bank. But I will tell you this. Make him earn this. Men, your girlfriends, your daughters, your children, teach them their value. And that Jesus sits here. And when Jesus sits here, then you have a man engage you through Jesus. And this is what happens. Uh, I always want to be cautious of what I share. I try to be so transparent. I try to honor Jesus. When Ashley and I met, uh, uh, my my past was a lot more checkered than hers was. And uh, my mom told Ashley uh, not to date me about four or five different times. She said, he's not ready for you. He doesn't deserve you. So she tells him, thanks, Mom. And uh, my mom used to call my girlfriends different names. I think really, it was, it was, it was working against me, I think is what she was doing. And uh, so Ashley and I decided, you know what? Let's do this differently than we ever have. And let's not let sex get in the way of knowing each other. And let's not sex get in the way of our relationship. Because so far, we're both hurt. And men pretend like they're not. Because men make it a conquest. But let me just tell you, ladies, here's what he's at home at night. He's either thinking about his next conquest or he's asking, why wasn't that fulfilling? And he looks at the woman and says, she just didn't give me what I needed. And he demoralizes her in his mind instead of facing the fact that he's a schmuck. It's also in the Bible. I don't know where. When love becomes the idol of one's life, the, it always leads to disenchantment. You place, some, you place something on a human being that is impossible because no person is capable of fulfilling that role. The only person that will fulfill the role is the greatest lover who is Jesus. So Ashley and I date for months, uh, about four months, and uh, we decide we're going to get married. And so we had, uh, for the first time in, in my young life, I, I had uh, uh, just been uh, just worried about getting to know a girl. And, uh, um, and then we made the mistake. We got engaged. Not that mistake. That was her mistake, not mine. I was, I was, I was the winner in that. Uh, we decided we were going to have sex before we got married. We'd made it four months. Now, for you, that might not be a big deal. For, it was like a world record. I wanted a star. It's just truth. And um, I want you to know that we we paid for that mistake four years later. Because what happens is limerence wears off. Study it on your own. 1970s, I can't remember the doctor's name. In 18 to 36 months, limerence... Love potion number nine wears off. And if what's supposed to happen, if love is at the center, and she doesn't teach this, but I believe this is biblical, if Christ is not at the center, 
whenever your limits wears off, you're supposed to move to a deeper level of love. And what happens in almost all situations is the man or the woman will look at each other and say this, Ah, I just fell out of love. Something happened. It's 18 to 36 months. I can't tell you how many couples I sit down with between year four and five. My first question is always, did you have sex before you were married? Because that is something that you're going to have to pray through. Ashley and I just brought it before Jesus in one night in, the, in, our, in our bedroom by ourselves, kneeling at the sit of our, foot of our bed, and said, God, we started this relationship in sin. We confess that to you. Please forgive us. Please restore us because we're both broken. What happened? The limerence wore off. See, I think God in his genius and his perfected divine providence allows limerence to engage us momentarily so that men, she sees you for better than you really are. God's up there laughing. No, really, he's not that good, but I'm hoping he will be. Pray, pray for him, honey. That's what he's saying. And then for, for you ladies... He's hiding the crazy. He's masking the crazy. And he doesn't see the craziness. He just sees you for you. And, and, and every time a little bit of crazy comes out, he's like, oh, no. No, that's really not her. She, just, she needs some chocolate. You feed her chocolate. <laughs> and see what happens is we get in this relationship and we find out that there's sin in our past that we need to confess and bring before Jesus so that he can heal it and restore because at audacity we believe that sex is a beautiful thing we believe that it's like a sacrament before god two people becoming one so the idol or the 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 altar would be what your bed so what happens on the idol of your bed if it's not done the way jesus wants it done it's not a sacrament becomes a sacrifice to a false god number four there are always consequences. There's a prophet named Nathan. This is why my heart breaks. I don't want people to experience the consequences, but God is just and he's holy. Nathan, who's a prophet, shows up to David and says, Hey, bro, let me tell you a story. Once again, Baker International Version, coming soon. He says, there's a man's got a lot of, lot of, lot of lambs, a lot of, there's a bunch of them, there's a bunch of them, he's got a huge flock, and then there's another guy, and he only has one, and the man that has a bunch goes to the guy's house that has one, and he takes the one from him, and brings it to where he's got a bunch, what should the man, what should we do to that man, David says, he's a dirtbag, we should kill him, and we'll pick up what Nathan says, Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, and Nathan said to David, You are that man. Thus says the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, anointed you king over Israel and delivered you out of the hand of Saul and gave you your master's house and your master's wives and into the arms he gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And this were too little. I would add to you as much more. I'm going to get back to that statement. It is so powerful. 
When you despise the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before you and give your wives to your neighbor, and you sh- and he shall lie with your wife in the sight of the sun. For you did this in secret, but I will do this before Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord, and the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. Jesus wants you to know something today. You're not letting him satisfy you. He says this, if what I have given you was too little, I would add to you so much more. He told David that the sword would never depart from his house. One of David's sons kills his other son after his other son had raped his daughter. Dysfunction. One of David's sons rises up against David and tries to take tries to take the throne from David. And then the most impacting is that the child died. He got sick and for seven days David is on his face. He won't eat. He's in sackcloth and he's mourning and he's begging God to heal the son. Begging God to heal his son. Begging God to heal his son. And seven days later he dies. I brought a child into our marriage. Most of you know that. If you don't, buy me a cup of coffee or a nice steak and I'll tell you the story. Ashley and I had three kids. We had two boys and two girls. And I'm like, man, this is perfect. And Ashley says, well, I've always wanted a big family. And I'm like, four is huge. I mean, we got to upgrade from a Taurus or whatever we were driving, a Lumina or whatever it was. And uh, Ashley gets pregnant again. And we were a little bit shocked. And uh, three weeks later, or uh, three months later, it's in the fir- into, into the first trimester, she loses the baby. And she's crushed, and I'm trying to figure it out because she's mourning, and I don't really understand. I mean, I get it, but I, 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 my heart doesn't, it's not hurting the way she is. I'm trying to understand her. We get pregnant again. She loses another child. We get pregnant a third time, and... Uh, Ashley carries this baby to seven months. We got names picked out. People had stuff. This is why we stopped telling people kids' names. (laughs) People had stuff embroidered with this kid's name on it. In seven months, I'm in a hospital, and my wife is having a CDC, and the baby that had died inside her is having to be taken out, and my wife goes into depression. And she mourns, and I mourn with her. 
And I told God this. I said, God, I'll never watch my wife walk through that much pain again. And I decided I was going to go and get fixed. Uh, I was going to become an it. I don't know if that's really what happens with dudes, but I've never, <laughs> I'm scared of it. For the use that have it, uh, you're more of a man than I am. And I decided I was going to take God's plan for my life into my own hands, and I was going to control how many kids he was going to bless me with. Four was enough. I would never watch Ashley walk through that much pain again. And I'm so mad at God. And God said, I know that I've broken your heart, but you've broken mine before. And it was in that moment that I realized that all of our sin has consequences. And he doesn't he didn't want me to walk through those consequences. I had the procedure scheduled to go get nipped and tucked or whatever happens. Uh, I don't know if anyway, I don't want to talk. I'll chase that rabbit. And now I look at Lucas and Mercy and Maisie and Margot. And there's another one that's allegedly coming. Any day now. Poor Ashley's at 40, 40, it seems like 40 months. That's what I told her. She's like an elephant. Two-year pregnancy. And I look at those blessings that God has given us, and I'm humbled. I said, God, thank you that your consequences weren't everlasting, but your grace is. Number five is the great designer. Will you just look to Jesus? Man, God designed sex. It's not like the first time Adam and Eve, Barry Manilow or Barry White is singing in the background, let's get it on. And Eve looks at Adam and Adam looks at Eve. And they get intimate and Adam and Eve both really, really like it. And God wasn't like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. God knew he designed it to bring pleasure. And it's never what it's supposed to be until he's at the center of your marriage. Sex is a beautiful thing until it loses its spiritual context. Only when God is done can someone, when, only when God is at the center can we create the supernatural bond. Anything else is just a counterfeit idol. One way you can identify an idol is when a good thing demands you to compromise your boundaries. When you're in the wrong relationship, take steps to fix it. And then this is for the married folk in the house. Number whatever we're on, six. Will you safeguard the ones you love? I know that's a commercial. I just stole the line from them. Will you safeguard the one you love? Intimacy in marriage is of high importance. Number A, keep passion ignited. Deuteronomy 20, this is, I have a bunch of favorite verses in the Bible. This is one of mine. And when a man that has been betrothed a wife and hath not taken her, let him go and return into his house, lest he die in battle, and another man take her. You're <laughs> like, Ronnie, there's a lot of good Bible. That's your favorite? Yes, because it shows that God values intimacy. What this is talking about is a man that goes off to war. And God says, hey, if there's a man who's gone off to war and he's not been with his wife, you send, her home, you send him home for a year. God's like, Barry White, one year, let's do this. 
God places such a high value on intimacy that he sends a man home. Keep passion ignited. And if it's not ignited, reignite it. Men, hear me, suckers. Write this down. You should put more thought and effort in your marriage than you did when you were dating. Now, I'm going to say it again, and if women, you don't say amen, I will excommunicate all you from the fellowship, and we'll just become like a moose lodge. I'll give you girls another try. Men, you date your spouse. You should put more thought and effort in your marriage than you did when you were dating. Okay, y'all get to stay. Ladies, he has an ego problem. He can't help it. In the heart of heart, he's a little boy always trying to earn affirmation and approval and accomplishment. He is still trying to be king of the molehill that he was trying to be in third grade. <laughs> like, yay for today. He's still trying. Will you pursue him? I mean really pursue him. I mean surprise him. Have something on different than sweatpants when he gets home. If you want to go and get some lingerie, I know how to say lingerie. I tell low to spell it. L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E is lingerie. Will you just invest in some tasteless clothing that you can share with your spouse? And sometimes uh, when he's having a bad day, just jump his bones. I don't know if I can say all this. Am I good, Josh? Will you just will you will you just surprise him and tell him how amazing he just lie to him if you have to. Lie. Tell him how sexy he is. Lie. Oh, I love it when you do that. Lie. Will you will you engage him? Couples, let me tell you this. If you're not having sex two to three times a week, there's something wrong in your marriage. And I'm being nice with that number. So find out what it is. Man, can I get an amen from y'all? Okay. I mean, I'm serious. I will start a ladies club. <laughs> Just be me and them. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, value intimacy. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to skip one of the verses. It's on the notes on you version. Check it out later. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Did you hear that, man? You should fulfill your wife's sexual needs. Whatever you got to do. What, uh, she is a microwave. Or she is not a microwave like you. She is a crock pot. I mean, the average woman, just so you know, because I've done the research, is 18 to 22 minutes. I have no idea what takes so long. I don't know what they're doing. Like, what's going through your head? Let's just wrap this up. Okay. That's not love and intimacy, and that's why God designed her the way that she did, so that you would pursue her, you would be passionate and intimate with her. Why are you all acting like you're uncomfortable? This is church. We should talk about sex. Uh, there's an, oh, there's another part of the verse. We should probably read this because this is the most important. Uh, wife, you should fulfill your husband's needs. I just want to throw that out there. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. 
the Bible says, get it on. Because what happens when we don't? We make a God of sex. And our lives aren't what they're supposed to be. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.